Wow. Are you guys excited for Christmas? Man, I am so excited. I know we had a wonderful Thanksgiving, but we are so looking forward as a church family to Advent. You know, Advent is something that has been done historically through the years in the church around the world. And Advent is four weeks of anticipation of the birth of Jesus Christ. My question for you, just as we start off today, is what are you hoping for this Christmas? Particular gift? Peace? A relationship? A, you know, all kinds of us might have a variety of different things that we are hoping for, but, you know, this is what your pastor is hoping for. You ready? What your pastor is asking for this Christmas. This is when you take notes. (laughs) Here we go. A renewed sense of trust in Jesus. A renewed sense of trust in Jesus. Now, I know for some say, yeah, but you're a pastor. I mean, that is your job is to trust Jesus. Hey, you know what? I'm human being just like you. And there's aspects of my heart where I just, the Holy Spirit continues to reflect, okay, there's a, there's a darkness there, Brian, let's do something with that. Uh, you're, you're not believing me for that. My word says this, but you're not believing me for that. That's kind of what I mean by this. And, and you might be uh, saying, hey, well, I want to steal that and put that on my Christmas list now because I've got some areas in my heart that need to be given more over to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I don't know. I want us to be able to think about that this uh, particular Advent because this Advent is going to be a little bit different than any other kind of maybe Advent that you've been a part of in the past where you've got four candles, Advent wreath, and you've got, you know, the hope candle, the joy candle, the, the peace, the love candle. You got all those candles, um, but we're doing something different, Grace Spring. Can you handle that? Okay, here we go. God's Word has Jesus described as fulfilling four different roles. That Jesus Christ fulfilled the role of what we're going to talk about today is the role of prophet. And then that he satisfied the role of priest. And he satisfies the role of king. And see, throughout the Old Testament, you see those who served in a prophetic voice and with a priestly um, practice, and some were prophets and priests, and then you had kings in the midst, and all of this was designed for God, the creator, to communicate with sinful people, but for sinful people to create with God, to communicate with God. And so that's all how all this works together, but then something unique about Jesus is not only did he play out these different roles, but he also played out the role of Savior, Messiah. Isn't that good news? That he is the only one in history. We, we call the totality of this for the incarnation of God. Incarnation just means God in human flesh so that man could behold God and not die. And so we're going to investigate that. Are you excited about these next four weeks? 
Because, man, I'm excited because I truly think that as we get to know Jesus in these four ways, that perhaps maybe for you, you will dive a little bit deeper in the waters of trusting Jesus to be not only who he says he was and is, but trusting Jesus to guide you to the places that he desires to guide you. Because remember, the Christian faith is about Jesus saying to you, follow me. I want you to turn your Bibles to uh, the book of Hebrews. Near the very end of your Bible, page 1187, in the Bible in front of you. Um, You know, I I might want to encourage you today, maybe take less notes and just sit back and listen. Our, our Grace Spring Bible Church app has the notes on there for you, but sometimes there is just one of those sermons that you may just need to soak it in, and this might be that for you. I'm going to invite the Hennessy family up to do our, our scripture reading, but also light our first Advent candle, which is Jesus the prophet. So, Thank you. So, Matt, tell us something a little bit about your uh, incredible family here. Yeah. Uh, my name is Matt Hennessy. It's my wife, Laura, our son, Joshua, who's a junior over at Battle Creek Lakeview High School. Um, and we've had opportunities to serve the church over the last four years. Uh, one of the ways I've loved serving the most is actually in engaging and teaching uh, classes. And we actually do have a class coming up in the new year. And it's a class that's going to be centered around the overwhelming world we live in right now. Um, and frankly, if you open your eyes, you can see biblical Christian Christianity is getting attacked in every way, shape, and form. And even the most well-meaning, well-versed Christian is actually going to feel those challenges at times and have some confusion and some doubt even. And that's what we're going to be addressing is things like that. Um, Some of the questions we're going to address are things like, is there a God? Uh, Is Jesus truly the only way? And of course, one that affects every single one of us is if there is a good God, why is there evil in the world? Um, This is an interactive course. It's not a, hey, come listen. It's a, hey, come bring questions, because guess what? I got questions too. So we're going to come together and engage those questions. Uh, This is also a class that's uniquely designed that is for everyone, Uh, from the most seasoned Christian, but frankly, um, having this fantastic youth next to me here, it's really for our youth all the same. And and the reason is, is because every single day he goes to public school, he's getting bombarded with atheism. Every single day he opens up his phone, he's getting bombarded with atheism. Every single day he turns on the TV, he's getting bombarded with atheism. And that's the worldview that's shaping him right now. And we need to put the truth of Christ into his heart, into his spirit. So that's true for every single one of us. So uh, second service, January 22nd. We got a little ways to go here still, but we just wanted to be able to introduce that to you today. Great. All right. Can we all stand for the reading of Hebrews Uh, Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thank you so much. 
You know, can you join me in prayer as we open up this text here together? Dear Lord, as we now open your word, may you speak into our hearts today, yielding the same results as when you spoke into creation, where light overcame dark spaces, and as a result transformed those things that were empty to those things that are now filled. So wherever those dark and distrusting places are in our hearts, expose and fill these with an overwhelming sense that you are the one to place our trust and confidence in completely. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. You know, whenever you open up God's word, you've got to check out the context. Who is the author? Who's the author writing to? What was the context as to why this was written? The book of Hebrews, nobody knows with absolute certainty who the author was, but we do know that the author was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, so that fact is true. We do know that this was titled, The Letter to the Hebrews. So, this was a letter written to those who Um, really had come out of Judaism and believed Jesus to be their Messiah. And so because of that, there was a high cost. The high cost for that is many of these Hebrews were no longer permitted to uh, be uh, partakers of temple priestly uh, service um, to uh, at least have their uh, sins kind of covered or atoned for, uh, they weren't allowed. They weren't allowed in the synagogue because, again, no Jew would look to Jesus as their Messiah because according to Judaism, the last days were the days when Messiah would not only come but usher in the new kingdom. And so Jews would not look to Jesus as doing that. This is why God Uh, brings Jesus' incarnation, God in the flesh, and particularly in this role of prophet. And and I want to uh, explain to us what a prophet is. A prophet is a messenger of a divine message. The Old Testament is filled with prophets. But to the Hebrew listener here that this letter is being addressed to, The Hebrews, who would you think the greatest prophet is to the Hebrew? I want you to think. Moses. Moses, why would Moses be considered like, man, one of the greatest prophets? Well, consider the life of Moses. Pretty popular guy. He is uh, um, one who is the most referenced prophet in the New Testament. Okay, He wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. First five books of the Bible known as the Pentateuch. Um, The Mosaic Law. So when God had formed this Hebrew people into a nation and had a foundation of laws, the Ten Commandments, and all that went with it, um, God used his servant Moses. Moses. So, I want you to think about Moses here for a a second. In Egyptian history, there was a time where the Pharaoh was very concerned about the population of their slaves being these Hebrews. 
And so Pharaoh at the time made a decree that Hebrew babies were, Hebrew males were to be killed. And so Moses is born. Moses' mother hides Moses, puts him into a basket with reeds after about three months, and he finds himself in royalty. So I want you to think about this for a time. You've got Moses, who was born in a time where it was very dangerous to be a baby, who was Hebrew. And he ends up being involved in royalty, raised in a royal family, but then um, sees one of his fellow Hebrews being mistreated by an Egyptian, kills the Egyptian, and now he has to flee for his life. And so he leaves his royal family to become a shepherd for 40 years in the wilderness. Now, I want you to stop and consider for a moment any parallels that you are hearing with the Christmas story and Moses' story. Remember in Jesus' story that Herod wanted to kill the Hebrew males that were a certain age? Um, and Jesus is born in the middle of that. Jesus comes from royalty to become a shepherd. Moses leaves royalty to become a shepherd. Um, you, you have these amazing similarities. But I want you to consider the story of Moses here for a sec. You've got Moses who God speaks to in a burning bush. And says, you are my instrument to deliver my people from slavery. Any similarities to Jesus there? Okay? So, Moses does this. Takes ten plagues. After the tenth plague, God finally uses that to break through into Pharaoh's hard heart. Pharaoh, after losing his son then ends up saying, okay, you guys depart from me. So as the nation of Israel, yes, the Hebrew nation is leaving Egypt, Pharaoh changes his mind. And now you have God leading geographically his people to a cul-de-sac right on the edge of the Red Sea. So now you've got ocean, you've, you've got this big body of water on one side, and then Pharaoh changes his mind. Why in the world would God lead them out there and now have 600 of Pharaoh's choicest chariot riders coming after them? It seems like God is pretty mean, doesn't he? The whole scenario sounds so mean, and you might be in a scenario like that where you have followed after Christ, but so many things in your life aren't seeming to make sense. See, the temptation for these Hebrews who had received this letter from the author, they're saying, okay, you're discouraged. Life isn't turning out the way you are hoping. You've got a great temptation now to go back to your tradition. But notice in verse 1, of Hebrews 1, it says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So now we have the story of Moses. 
You've got the army approaching. It looks like there is no salvation in sight. God tells his prophet, spread your arms over the Red Sea. And he does this with his staff. And what happens? The wind blows. The water parts. They are able to cross on dry land. Miraculous absolutely miraculous. They go to the other side, and here's what God was doing all along. He was setting him up so not only would they be free from their slavery, but they could see the enemies that had enslaved them annihilated by the water. I tell you, God is a God who says, not only do I want to show myself to you as a deliverer, but also victor over those things that are trying to enslave you. So now put yourself in the, uh, I, I mean, Moses in that situation had to say this to the people. In Exodus 14, 13 and 14, it says, Moses said to the people before this happened, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Man, isn't that a good word from the Lord? He said, just sit back and watch my saving power bring you salvation from your enemies. Now, if you walked across on dry land, you have seen God show up like this in an amazing way. Wouldn't that be the end of all of your insecurities, all your fears, all your, wouldn't that be the end of that? Not really, because all throughout the Old Testament, we see God showing up in amazing ways and the people falling back in disbelief, because you see the people at this time, they saw their problem as being with them and those over there who are trying to do me harm, and so God deal with them over there. And see, this is the story of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Time and time again, it is God's people saying, okay, we'll try harder, we'll try harder, we'll try harder. Oh, but it's them, it's them, it's them. But then Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And I want you to see Jesus in Moses' story. Jesus comes, and there's the sea of sin and the invading army of the wrath of God, and it looks like both are closing in, and this was going to be the end of them, and what does Jesus do? He comes in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He comes as God in the flesh, and he says, I have come to address your biggest fear, and that is your fear of how you can live in the presence of a holy God. You see, Moses knew in advance that he was just a prophet. He was God's spokesman, but he was human. And in fact, in Deuteronomy 18.18, it says this. This is a messianic prophecy from Moses himself. We're 
God says, I will rise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. There would be more prophets who would say something very, very similar in a variety of different ways. You have Jeremiah and Ezekiel who both said, I am going to replace that heart of stone with a softened heart, a heart of flesh. Why? Because the real problem with man is sin in the heart, and God so desperately wants your heart. He wants you to trust him with your whole heart, not portions of your heart, your whole heart. And why do we need a better prophet? Why do we need someone even greater than Moses? I'll tell you why. Because Moses had to lead these people in the wilderness for a long time. And we see Moses saying things like this. I would rather you kill me than to keep leading people like them. Sounds like some pastors I know. You see, Moses had flaws. Yes, God used this prophet in amazing ways. But again, back to our text. This is where I think it's so important for us to get. That yes, God spoke to all these prophets, through all of these prophets to his people. But each one of these were looking forward to a future time, the time when Messiah would come. And so God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. That's an amazing, amazing story. Because Moses, while the the, the, the people got under Moses' skin. Here is Jesus coming with statements like this. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus says, hey, come to me. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I tell you, I think some of us really need to memorize these verses and take to heart. This is why Jesus came, to address the problem in here, not the problems out there, the problem in here. And I love that because God's word says this about this prophet, that Jesus is God's final word. God spoke through the prophets to people, but God sends himself Jesus Christ, the living word. Notice the title, his son. No other prophet is in this relational category. It says Jesus, the son of God, not that the son was created by the father, but that this is God in the flesh. It says these last days he has spoken to us by his son. And when you look at the ministry of Jesus here on this earth, time and time again, people were saying, who is that? Some say, well, some say he's Elijah. Um, some say he's Moses. Um, he's doing these miracles that only prophets did long ago that we read about. And so there was much confusion about who Jesus was. 
But make no mistake, in their confusion, the people knew from the law of Moses there was going to be a future prophet who was going to be similar to Moses. And now you have Jesus doing all these amazing prophetic things and speaking the voice of God. But notice how he says that all things were created through the Son. It says he created, notice at the very end of verse 2, it says the world. Now the world there is not the Greek word cosmos, because that would be like the earth and the universe. No, he's saying he created this system that everything we are seeing and experiencing, Jesus Christ created it. Jesus Christ created time. I mean, we can't even fathom a uh, a, a, just not having time because time marches forward. Even in this statement that, you know, that was 10 seconds ago I started this statement because time marches forward. But God created time. God created force. God created energy. God created everything that we see. God created it. And he is the heir of all things. But notice verse 3. He, referring to Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Almost how a die is cast. It's like, okay, in the, in the Greek, this whole statement really means that Jesus is the character of God. Jesus reflects the character of the Father. And so here we see the work of who Jesus is. If I could illustrate it this way, it would be like the sun in our solar system. You've got the sun. The sun is very dangerous to look at it because of its brilliance, its brightness. But we see the effects of the sun, don't we? We have light. We have growth. All of this coming from the sun. And in a very similar way, Jesus reflects the glory of God. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That God holds it all together. The entire universe. Do you know how big the universe is? Can I illustrate for you just how big the universe is. I'm going to put that up here on the screen for you. And I might need some help. Um, can someone hand me that ream of paper right there in the front? Sorry, I didn't have time before service to arrange this. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Okay. The distance from the earth to the sun is how far? Anyone know? Almost 93 million miles away. The, th this paper, the thickness of this paper, if the thickness of this paper reflected the distance from the earth to the sun, how much paper would it take for us to reach the closest star? What percentage of this ream of paper if this is 93 million miles, how far to the closest sun? Or closest star. I'm sorry about that. 
Any guesses? Two inches? Good guess. But wrong. Um, 70 feet. 70 feet to the closest star. Okay, so we live in our galaxy. Do you know how big our galaxy is? I mean, our Milky Way galaxy. Do you know how big that is? The amount of space from one end to the other would be, again, this paper represents, yeah, 93 million miles. The distance would be about 300, where is that? Oh, here we go. I want to make sure I get this right. It would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. That's a lot. And that is just our galaxy we live in. And there are so many galaxies. And scientists see stars being created and being created. I mean, does that blow your mind? That blows my mind. And that God through Jesus Christ, put all of this out on display for you and I to enjoy, but that God's word clearly says that Jesus Christ himself not only is the creator of all, but the sustainer of all. How did God create? God said it's his word, his word, his word, his word. John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Taking you all the way back into creation, Jesus Christ. I mean, talk about the ultimate prophet. I mean, he is the Word of God. And people didn't know how to take him. In fact, a whole bunch of people would follow Jesus around. Remember, Jesus fed the 5,000. People were following, go, hey, this guy gives free food. We want that. Hey, this guy does miracles. We want that. And every time Jesus knew why they were following, they were following for the wrong reasons. In one instance, Jesus said, yes, you're eating this bread, but unless you eat the blood, the, the bread of my flesh, you have no part of me. And it says, then the people turned and went their own way because Jesus was not the kind of Savior they were hoping for. What kind of Savior are you hoping for? I know I get communicated with all the time about some who are here who just continue to love to come and be a part of this, yet who have yet to take that step of faith and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Look at these roles played here. It says in verse 1, God spoke through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken through the Son. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Isn't that like a very kingly statement? That's a royal statement. Jesus, not only is prophet, Jesus is king. And then, listen to this. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. More on this next week, but that's Jesus' priest. And it says that after his priestly duties, he sat. Well, no priest 
could sit. It was sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. The beauty of Jesus is that he had one sacrifice for all. John the Baptist said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what does all this mean for you and I today? Well, one, Jesus can be trusted. Jesus can be trusted. Jesus, his word can be trusted. Jesus was before Pontius Pilate. And Pontius asked Jesus, hey, who are you? And Jesus, being the very personification of I'm the way, the truth, and the life, is there before Pilate. But Pilate fell into the pressure of popular opinion and passed Jesus on to somebody else. My question is, are you doing the same thing today? In a crowd this size and an audience who's watching, it's so easy for us who've been in the church maybe for a long time to just kind of say, yes, I, I trust Jesus, but do you really? Do you dare to enter into his presence made possible through the cross of Jesus Christ who intercepted the wrath of God and dealt with the sin that robbed us from relationship with God and brings us into his family? Jesus can be trusted. But then also, Jesus invites you to follow him in relationship. See, and that demands trust, doesn't it? It demands trust. And I challenge you to really be honest with yourself in this Advent season. Are you trusting that Jesus' word, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. Are you trusting his word to say that? All throughout the prophets, Jesus was a fulfillment of all these prophecies, where he was born, where he would do his ministry, the time frame, he'd be in the lineage of David, all of that works together in the word of God to demonstrate God can be trusted. Jesus can be trusted. Can you trust Jesus here today? So I'm going to challenge you. I want us to uh, close our eyes and I want you to have time between you and the Lord to wrestle with, man, are you really, truly trusting in Jesus? Or do you believe in just amount, uh, enough Jesus to make you feel good that, well, at least I intellectually know Jesus is God, yes, but are you living with he as such in your life? If not, and today you want to settle that, can you, wherever you are, just pray with me right now. Dear Lord, I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for doing on the cross what I could never do for myself. And now, Jesus, help me to know how to follow you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you did that online, could you just click the icon, uh, raise hand that, yes, I have prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Or if you are here and there's a card in front of you and there's a place on that card to say, I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. We want to follow up with you and, and live this journey with you. We don't want you to figure it out by yourself. We want to come alongside you. 
but it is an invitation into relationship. And this is a challenge for all of us in this Advent. Will you allow the power of the Christmas season to really take your heart as we are on this journey together here in the next few weeks to next week see Jesus as priest, then Jesus as king, then Jesus as savior, and then celebrate on Christmas Eve the most incredible gift that could have ever been given, Jesus Christ himself. Amen? Amen. Let's rise. Let's celebrate what God is doing here in our midst.